0: Well, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. So I've got a question for the students in the room. So mostly that's going to be those that are under 18. That might be some in college age and might be some of you that are adults or in school. How many of you are students? Would you raise your hand? Okay, kids, raise your hands. Come on, we know you are. But All right, so now put your hands down. How many of you that are students like to get a report card? Oh, a few, okay, but not near so many. Maybe one-third of the students out there like to get a report card. So let's apply this to those of us that are in the working world. How many of you that are in the working world like to have a quarterly or annual review of your performance? Okay, some of us do. Well, there you go. we got some maturity. We want to know how we're doing. Good for you. Let's change it again. How many of us like to go to the doctor? Maybe, you like to go to the doctor, Weston? Okay, stickers really good at your doctor's office? or Okay, Weston's thank you. And got Mr. B-Sable over there as well. So some of us like to go to the doctor. Now granted, if I change that even a little bit more, and I say that you've had a medical something or other, something like cancer, but then you have to go back at six months or one year Or even at a five-year increment to get all those tests run again for that checkup. How many of us like to do that? Most don't. There's one. We knew you were special, Sana. But most of us, even though we know it's necessary, we don't like to have those checkups. Because we say to ourselves, at least the men among us, if I don't go, I won't find out what's wrong. Right? How many men say that kind of thing? Yeah, I got some amens from that one. All right. We know we're hitting home here. But that's the way it is even with our church, that we need to say, okay, how are we doing? And though this isn't a state of the church type thing, like a state of the union, uh, I wanted to share with you all the results of our Natural Church Development Survey. It's a survey we take every fall, and if you haven't been asked already, you probably will be in the future because we asked 30 active members of our church from all age ranges, from teenagers up to their 80s. I think we might have had somebody 90 take it this year as well. So that Natural Church Development Survey gives us some objective ways to measure things that sometimes we go, "Hmm." when we talk about our church, we can say, well, our attendance is up or down, our giving is up or down, and, you know, volunteerism is up or down, and things like that. But we don't have a way to measure everything that goes behind that. But the NCD, the Natural Church Development Survey, gives us that ability. But this isn't a sermon about the NCD. This is a sermon that will use the NCD to report and illustrate how we're doing, but it's a sermon about 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Now, I'm going to pull a fast one on the guys that made the slides, unless Sean is really quick back there, and I'm actually going to begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, I want to invite you to do that if you are able First Peter, chapter four, verses one and following. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans chose to do, Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge in with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Now to verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should speak as if one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Our passage of Scripture this morning in the book of 1 Peter First Peter, this book written to a church that was suffering from persecution, that needed some guidance on how to relate to one another, but also how to stand up versus what they were facing from outside the church. Just going back and reviewing those first six verses you see there, that Christ suffered, And therefore, we will suffer. We should not be surprised as followers of Jesus when we are treated like Jesus. And we suffer as well. Verse 2 tells us that there are no longer evil human desires, but like Jesus, i.e. that Christian suffering leads to holiness, that our suffering is going to help and uh, purify us for Christ. Verse 3 basically makes the case that we've all spent enough time in our sinful life and those are the habits that you've left. And they should be gone. You should be changed. But basically what he's saying in verse 3 is don't waste your time on that stuff anymore. Go back to verse 3. What does it say? debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That's just a minor list. But a list that can encompass so many more things that are sinful in our flesh and in our sin nature. But... Peter's saying don't waste time with that. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, don't join. Well, I'll read it there. It says, they think it's strange when you don't plunge in with the same dissipation and they heap abuse on you. So it's basically telling us that you should expect worldly people, sinful people, to not understand you and even make fun of you or abuse you for you not participating in the sinful things they do. Verse 5 says, you got to give an account to Jesus, not others, for what you do. And so it's basically asking, who do you fear or who do you love? Do you love Jesus more than you fear other people? Verse 6 tells us this is why the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached so that all people will know right from wrong, good and bad, and know that there is a judge and his name is Jesus. It's fair and equitable whether we like it. Or not. Think about traffic laws like a speed limit. A speed limit is a standard. It's posted on a sign and that standard doesn't change depending on who you are. I guess if you are a policeman and you have your lights on, you can go faster than the speed limit because there's a reason for that and there's a law covering that too. But for the rest of us, there's not an exception. Pastor David doesn't get a youth pastor exemption for the speed limit where he can go faster because his work is important. You know, I mean, if you're an older person, you don't get a, a a speed limit exemption because you're not old enough to drive that speed anymore. The speed limit is a standard that's set. God's word sets a standard for our lives as well. And it's a standard by which we will be judged there's three questions we're going to answer on your outline today and those three the first one is already on your screen and it's what must our church do our second one the ncd will help us with is how are we doing and the third one why do we do it so that question of what must a church do let's answer you can answer based on the scripture that we're about to cover But let's just ask right now. If you want to answer out loud, tell us, what must a church do? Somebody tell me, what should a church do? Name something. Preach the gospel. Thank you very much. We try to do that every week. Somebody else? Pray. Pray. Thank you. Someone else? (coughs) Minister to others, I heard over here. Someone else? Love one another. another. Amen. Someone else? I, I, I got about three at one time. I couldn't hear. Support each other. Thank you, ma'am. Someone else? Make Make disciples. I was looking for that one. Thank you. There's lots of ways we make disciples, lots of ways we love each other, lots of ways we support each other. Every program in our church ought to have roots in all these things that a church must do. If you look at what the Bible says is our standard, what should a church do? Not what does the church down the road doing as a method of meeting these goals, but biblically, what is the basis or the foundation? What are the goals that the Bible spells out for us? This passage of Scripture lays some of those out for us. And the first one we find in verse 7. He says, The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. He's Mentioned this previously in 1 Peter, but now he's coming back around to illustrate it in a different way when he goes on to say, Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, you know I love the so that, right? Did you see what it said there? It said the end of all things is near, but it said that you should be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? It's the so that you can pray. So your answer is we've got to be a praying church. If you're going to be a church, you got to pray. It said so right there. The end is near. Be clear-minded, sober, so that you can pray. It's saying don't be distracted by the stuff of this life. Don't grow anxious by events that you cannot control. Be mindful enough about the decay and the sinfulness and the ugliness of this world that you can pray. Yes, we watch the news. Yes, we read articles. Yes, we Uh, listen to the news, we post or read memes of politics in the world, but do we pray about it as much as we think about it and criticize and talk about it? What about what the Scripture says to do? It says, be alert, be sober, and prayer. It begs the question, if prayer is to be a hallmark of a spiritual life, if prayer is like breathing for a healthy Christ follower, then your question is, how healthy is my spiritual life? Who can hear... Uh, let, let me see. let me just try that again. Who here knows that you can hold your breath longer than 60 seconds? I'm not asking you to do it right now, but you know you can do it. Nobody? All right, somebody here. Maybe Al can do it, yeah. Maybe somebody here is going to try it out. So, you know, this afternoon, parents or... Spouses, if you get home and you find your spouse going, you know, it's Pastor Aaron's fault, all right? Most of us can't hold our breath for that long. I know there are free divers, you know, these guys that train themselves to be able to dive down, and they hold their breath a long time, Uh, and others may do it for certain reasons, but we just can't. We're made to breathe. To put out the impurities, to bring in the oxygen, and the oxygen goes to our blood and feeds our uh, body, and that keeps us healthy. It's all part of this fearfully and wonderfully made thing that God gave us called our human body, right? Spiritually, you're made to breathe. But how many of us pray like we breathe? Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe out, breathe in. That prayer is natural. That we don't turn it off. That it is How we live, it's a mindset that's dedicated, that's focused, that's undistracted. And yeah, you've got to set aside time to pray when you can be dedicated, focused, and undistracted. But then even through your life and your day, when you're in the midst of everything, and you're having a conversation with a friend in the back of your mind, you know, you're praying, right? How should I answer this? Am I feeling the right way about this? What wisdom from the Bible do they need to know that even as you're listening You're praying. Your mind can think a whole lot faster than your mouth or somebody else's mouth can speak. So don't feel bad about praying while you're listening and seeking God to help answer someone else. We know we should pray as believers in Jesus. The Bible says we must pray. And in order to be healthy, we've got to pray. Let's look on to verse 8. Verse 8 says that above all else, love each other deeply Because love covers a multitude of sins. So this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter, it's already told us one thing we ought to do as a church. That's pray. The second thing it says is that we've got to be a loving church. That's how I'm summarizing this one. offer It says, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. So even though it's second in the list, Peter said, above all. It's interesting to me. Is prayer more important because it's number 1 in his list here or is this number important number uh, most important because it's number 2 or is prayer foundational that's why he put it number 1 and he knew that your prayer life would impact your ability to love others and so that the reason you pray is in order to love that above all the most important thing he says is to love others and he gives you one reason in this verse why to love others Because love covers a multitude of sins. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like grace. It sounds like forgiveness. It sounds like acceptance. That even though we know what sin is, and even though we know what right and wrong is, and even though we hate the sin the person is involved in, we love the person no matter what. And we still invite them to our table, and we still have conversations with them. Maybe not, especially not if we agree But in order to demonstrate godly love to them. Think about the idea of forgiveness even. Forgiveness doesn't forget. It doesn't excuse the sin. It doesn't free them from consequences. But it also does not seek revenge. It's free from anger. It's free from holding a grudge. It lets it go. Love covers a multitude of sin. How do you get to that kind of love though is the question. Jesus. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have no ability on your own. Think about the way we talk about otherish here at Southview. Otherish love is God-powered. It's other-focused and it's self-sacrificing. You can't do it on your own because it's God-powered. And we've got to be a loving church according to this passage of Scripture. So the question there asks, you and I, how highly do I elevate others? Because that's what this is about. We're lifting others up above ourselves. We're honoring them, loving them, caring for them. Maybe in your mind right now, you're thinking you need a little work on this one. Maybe it's the next one. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So that third point there is we've got to be a hospitable church. Hospitable. Now, we know what hospitality is. Most often we think of food, right? Around here, we think about potlucks or we think about taking meals to somebody when they've had surgery or had a baby or something like that. But it's much more than that. It's a gracious welcome. It's friendship. It's time. It's help. It's encouragement. It's a note. It's a text. It's sharing a laugh with somebody. And not just people you know, but anybody. I was stymied this week when I said to a server at a restaurant, well, he said to me, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. How are you? And he said, you're the first person that's asked me today how I am. I said, dude. How many tables have you had? He said, I don't know, like two dozen. I said, and nobody asked you how you were. I said, well, now I want to know your name. His name's Otto. I was like, cool name. And he's like, not 90 years old either. He's 20. I said, is that like a name from the family or grandparents? He said, my mom and dad just thought it was cool. I was like, I think it's cool too, Otto. Otto and I had this great conversation while we were eating lunch. Just because I said, how are you? And I meant it. Even though he was waiting on me, I was seeking to be hospitable to him. And, of course, I invited him to church and talked to him about Jesus and all those kind of things, too. But look at what it says at the end of verse 9. Offer hospitality with one another without grumbling. Have you grumbled in your hospitality before? I want to know if this is a thing. You know, it's in the Bible, so it must be true. Oh, I've got to take a meal to this person. I can't believe it. Oh, Pastor Aaron said I have to be nice to people. I can't believe it. I mean, are you grumbling about being hospitable? If so, we need to have a talk, okay? Maybe more so, you need to go back to the first point in our outline, which is to pray and to love others. And when you pray and you love, it changes your heart and the way you relate to others. So it asks the question of us then, how well do I care for others? In your life right now, if you were to give yourself a grade, we talked about in the very beginning of my sermon about how many like to get a report cards, what would you grade yourself Would you get an A, a B, a C, a D, an F? Or does it depend on the person? Should it depend on the person? That you care for others, not in a forced way or a fake way, but in a genuine, honest way. We need humility. We need surrender. We need graciousness and love that only comes from Jesus to be hospitable the way he wants us to. The fourth thing there is we've got to be a serving church. We've got to be a serving church. Look at what it says in verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. It's not talking about using stuff that you have because of the latter part of the verse. The latter part of the verse said faithfully administering God's gift in its various forms. That means it's a spiritual gift. The spiritual gifts that are charismatic, that's where that term comes from. It means grace gift, right? Not people that do other things in worship than we might be comfortable doing. But that's the etymology of that word. It's those grace gifts. So what it's saying is if you know your spiritual gift, you should use it. It's interesting on our Natural Church Development Survey of the 91 statements in there, the single highest blow away off the top of the chart response from the 30 people that took it was said, I know my spiritual gifts. We scored an 80 on that. So compared to every other person in America and all the other churches in America, we're 80% on that one. But then, interestingly enough, when we look back in the whole 11 questions that make up this thing called um, gift based ministry, we scored low on some that say I use my gifts as I know I have them. So we've got a disconnect there. That's something that Pastor David and Myra and Jessica and I and the ministry leadership team will be looking at this year. OK, our church says they know their gifts, but not everybody in our church says they're using their gifts as they believe they should. Let's connect these two dots and see if we can be even healthier. So we've got to be a serving church. It says so there, faithfully to ministering God's grace in its various forms. Your question is, how gracious is my ministry to others? Are you gracious in the way that you serve others? And yes, here at church, because we ask you to serve based on your giftedness here in church, if you guys didn't serve, we wouldn't be able to have the programs we have in a church. There are times when we go, can we do this? Do we have enough people? Whether it comes to Easter pageant or vacation Bible school or nursery or Awana or Sunday school. We believe we should have these things and we go, God's given us lots of people that can serve. But how do we get them to serve? That's because all of us individually have to decide that it's up to us to serve based on the giftedness We've received. You look around and you think, what kind of things do we do here as a church? Then ask yourself, what should I be doing here as a church? What gifts has God given me? So these verses, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, spell out for us, we should pray as a church, as individuals that make up the church. We should love others. We should offer hospitality with one another. We should use our gifts with one another. But that leads us to my second question, and that's, how are we doing? And our Natural Church Development Survey results. So um, this is a sermon. This is not a report. Um, So I'm going to hit some high notes for you. But I will tell you this. If you want to see the entire report Email me, Aaron at org, and I'll email you the entire 19-page report. And I'll email a little bit of an explanation to help you get into it if you haven't read one before. But just email me, Aaron at org. So don't tell me today in church and, well, you know, trust me to write it down. Email me. You can email me right now if you want to. And then you can read everything, and I would be interested in your thoughts as well. So... When we think about something like this, you need to understand that first these are standardized scores, not percentages, and um, then I'll get Sean now to show us. um, These are our scores, so it cut off the top there where it says Natural Church Development Profile Plus. But if you look across the bottom, you see empowering leadership, gift-based ministry, passionate spirituality, effective structures, inspiring worship, holistic small groups, need-oriented evangelism, loving relationships is gray because it's our lowest one, interestingly enough. We'll talk about that in a moment. But look at our average of 63. So as standardized scores, what it says is that half of all churches that take this in the United States are below 50% and half are above. And the 35 to 65%, 70% of all churches in the U.S. are in that range. Below 35%, the most unhealthy churches in the United States that take this are 15% of the most unhealthy churches are below 35%. And only 15% of the most healthy churches in the United States are above 65% as an average. But look at where we're at, 63. We're just right there, like we're exceptional in our church health. You cannot understand how excited I was when I got these results. I was like, "Whoa!" Wow. I did a happy dance in my office. I was like, Sam, Sam, you got a Sam, Sam Nelson, you know, our office manager. Did you look at these before you sent them to me? No, I didn't look at them. Is it bad? No, it's amazing. We'll get to the comparison in just a minute, right? But let's talk a little bit about some of these. And I'm just going to give you some highlights. This Empowering leadership, each one of these eight categories, there is 11 statements that people were to say, I strongly agree, I somewhat agree, I'm neutral, I somewhat disagree, I strongly disagree, right? You had five responses on each one of these. But empowering leadership, look at that, we're up to 65 on that one. Our high was that our leaders seemed to enjoy our ministry in our church, or enjoy ministry in our church. And I was like, yes, I enjoy I hope everybody else enjoys. As you go across the other way, that next one, gift-based ministry, Gift-based ministry, that one, our highest as a whole is the, I know my gifts, but then our lowest one, as I mentioned, scored a 51, still not bad, was that I feel my task in our church is a positive challenge that stretches my faith. That's what I said. There's a little disconnect there. We know our gifts, but we might not be using them the right way. Look at passionate spirituality. Now, The lowest one out of passionate spirituality that scored a 50. Now, I'm talking about, you know, the individual 11 questions that go into that one there was times of prayer inspiring to me. And I went, wow, imagine if we were somehow able to help our church family. Be closer connected to Jesus and pray more often and our prayers were more inspiring to us and we were walking more with Jesus, how healthy everything else would be. I was really kind of shocked and surprised that that was such a low score. There was another one that was concerning to me, and it scored a 53. It says, I firmly believe that God will work even more powerfully in our church in the coming years. So again, it's not a six score. It was 53. But I wanted to say, I believe God is going to work more powerfully in our church in the years to come. And I know what you're about to see in two weeks when we present the church budget to you that is a faith budget that includes some things that I've been praying for for years. And I'm excited about where we're at and where we're going in this year and in the next year. And I want you to be that same way. That's just part of passionate spirituality. This idea of effective structures, that one there, is uh, number 40. Uh, we scored a 47, a lower score on one that says our church. in our church we often try new things. Have you noticed, we haven't made a big deal about it yet, but I'm in the pulpit, so I'm saying it now. This Christmas Eve, we're doing two Christmas Eve services, a four o'clock service and a six o'clock service. They'll be identical. they both have the candles and everything like that. Both of them will last a little less than an hour with a little break in the meantime there so that you can come at a time that's best for your family and you can invite friends. I know some of us are going to be, why are we doing two services? We like to be all together. We're not doing it for us. We're doing it for those that are not here. Amen. And that you might invite more people in and more people that drive by and more people that read our Facebook advertisements will say, oh, I could go at four o'clock home at five or six for dinner with my family. Exactly. And then wait till January. We got this thing called next steps coming in January that every Sunday is going to be something different. Every Sunday, we're going to be asking you to take that next step. I'm excited about that. Next one is inspiring worship services. The two lowest scores on inspiring worship, worship service were right here in front of you. Okay, so I'm not bragging about that. Number uh, one that scored a 49 was that I feel the sermon speaks to my personal situation. That's about me making sure that what I say from here connects with you. Then one that I scored a 51, still again not a sickly score, still right at the median is that I enjoy listening to sermons. Yes, I realize both of these are somewhat subjective. But their scores versus other churches, therefore they're objective in their comparison to others. The highest one in inspiring worship was that the music in worship service helps me connect with God. I continue week in, week out to be amazed and thankful for Myra as our worship leader. And when I see the songs that she's got and I know what I've studied and I'm going to preach and I'm like, I see the Holy Spirit's at work in her. And then the joy and enthusiasm with which our team leads and you all sing is just cool to me. I don't know about you, I love to come to church for many reasons, but one is so I can hear others than just myself sing. Amen? If you've heard me sing, you want to hear others sing too. Holistic small groups, that one's up to 67 now. Now this is the one where we're going to jump off, and Sean's going to put on the next slide with the comparison numbers. Check this out. The 2018 scores are in blue, the 2017 scores are in red, Look at where we were just two years ago in holistic small groups of 33. In two years' time, that score has doubled. Thank you, Pastor David. Thank you, Sunday school leaders. Thank you, small group leaders. Pastor David has led in being very intentional to help train where our weaknesses were of our small groups and our small group leaders. And the training, like the one he did just this morning, which, by the way, there might still be biscuits and gravy and bacon if you smell it. There might be some more if you want to get some in there. So not just the food, but much more so the content. What David has led and what our leaders have followed and led you with has been absolutely amazing to see that turnaround in a two-year time. But look at those other ones where... Two years ago, empowering leadership was lower, and look at how it's high in gift based ministry. And look at how inspiring worship service went up from 60, or 48 to 61. And look at our averages on the far right. We were 49, just below the midline, and now we're right at the high line of 65. God is good. God has brought health to our church. God is bringing more people to our church. Our attendance numbers are up, our giving numbers are good. And our um, Sunday school attendance and the percentage of people staying for Sunday school is good. We have a lot to be thankful for. That need-oriented evangelism is still one of our lowest ones. And we've had a lot of debate in ministry staff and in ministry leadership team whether that one at a 59, this year's score, or loving relationship, the one just next to it to the right at a 58, is the one we need to seek to work on the most in 2020. And if you've got an opinion on that, and once you read the full report and look at all those questions, I'd love to hear your opinion. And I'm still thinking through and praying through exactly how we'll go about being more healthy to bring more glory to Jesus in 2020. So these scores show us some things, but I've got to move us along and ask you a few questions. When you look at them, you would say, I'm most thankful for which one? I mean, I know you just saw the big numbers there, and Sean will put that uh, um, slide up there, that I am most thankful for which of these things that you saw. Your second question in application here is, I am most concerned with what? What are you most thankful for, and what are you most concerned with? Maybe you'll say, man, I'm concerned that loving relationships, I thought we were loving the church, is our most concerning one. Maybe you'll say, I'm most thankful for... Uh, You know, the fact that gift-based ministry is so high or that holistic small groups. And then the where the rubber meets the road question, what are you going to do about it? What will I do about it? If I look at just those big numbers that we just saw on the screen, the first thing you can do is email me and I'll send you the entire report. The second thing you can do then is read through the entire report, particularly about whichever area you are most concerned about, and look at each of those 11 statements and say, well, how do I do about this? And how can I pray for our church about this? And what can I do to be more like Jesus and help others to do the same thing? Because that's our job, is to make disciples so please know as leaders, ministry staff, church council, deacons, ministry leadership team, and all those that come to our servants meeting in January, we'll be using these results to help us in our strategic plan. But now we've got to come back to our scripture. Because our natural church development survey results were just an illustration of where we're going. If you've got your Bible still open, if not, please open it. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 answers the big question why for us. Why do we do it? Why do we do church the way we do? Why do we love others and pray and offer hospitality the way we do? That's in verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. Try to say a cuss word and feel like it's the very word of God. Try to ball somebody out and feel like it's the very word of God. Try to tell a dirty joke or story and feel like it's the very word of God. Hard thing to do. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Try to do something you know is sinful and say, oh, I'm doing it in the strength of God. it will keep you from doing it. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Your first question there. Why do we do what we do? So that everything glorifies God. Why do we do what we do? So that everything glorifies God. Everything we say. Everything we do. Not just in these walls, but in our entire life. Everything. Everything. We do glorifies God. And then you've got a final question to think about. Does every aspect of my life. Praise God. All I say, all I do, all I think in this building, in my car, at home, at work and everywhere in between. Does every aspect of my life praise God? Let's pray together. Our Father, we're moved by your word and its challenge to us today in how we live. That we would live like Jesus to bring glory to you. Father, we thank you for the report of the health of our church that is continuing to grow. And even when we just look at the big numbers of those eight quality characteristics, we see that things are improving and we feel that things are improving. But this is not to give glory to any person or group here, but to bring glory to you. And God, we pray that with the health of our church, you bring growth to our church. Again, not so we can have any glory because more people attend here. More people serve here. But so that you can have glory. Because you've done it, God. You've done it. So, Father, we come to you as believers in Jesus Thankful for the church family that you've allowed us to call our own. And we pray, Father, if there's anyone here today that is a believer in Jesus, that knows they need to unite with this church family, that they do that even today as we stand for this invitation. If there's anyone here today who's never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, they haven't admitted their own sinfulness, haven't asked Him to save them from their sins, and said they want to follow Him forever, they do that today. And for those of us that are here they're already members, already believers. Whatever it else you've called us to do, would we do it today? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.